let's get into our pairings. And I'm going to be 100% transparent here. I did not come up with any pairings or prep anyone. I should say prep any. Okay. So this is going to be totally off the cuff. <laughs> Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is our resident fantasy expert, Sierra Marshall. Before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. My goal is to have you read these books with us so you can participate in the conversation. At the beginning of each month, I will outline the books that we will be reviewing, so whether you want to read one, none, or all of them, the choice is up to you. These are reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two opinionated amateur readers. You may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill. so much, Sierra, for joining me today on uh, this episode of Red Wine Reads. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this book today. Uh, we are talking about When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill. I just love this book, so I'm very excited <laughs> to talk about it. Yeah, really good. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to really dive deep into this book and Kelly, but I do have a few fun facts that we can go through. This book got a four out of five on Goodreads, so people really do love it. Um, it was published this year, so 2022, and I think it's kind of exploded on TikTok, so that's kind of how we stumbled upon it. And then yeah. Kelly Barnhill, she's kind of an interesting character. So she grew up in Minnesota, uh, went to college there, and she is the author of The Girl Who Drank the Moon, which was awarded the John Newberry Medal. And before becoming an author, she worked for the National Park Service and was trained as a volunteer firefighter. And so she's kind of done a, a little bit of everything and then somehow ended up as a author. So she mostly writes kind of middle school children's books is kind of her sweet spot, but has kind of ventured out of that uh, as of late and wrote this adult kind of feminist novel. Alrighty, let's just jump into the summary. So this I just pulled right from the book jacket because I was a little too lazy today. <laughs> so <laughs> Alex Green is a young girl in a world much like ours, except for its most seminal event, the mass dragoning of 1955, when hundreds of thousands of ordinary wives and mothers sprouted wings, scales, and talons left a trail of fiery destruction in their path and took to the skies. Was it their choice? What will become of those left behind? Why did Alex's beloved Aunt Marla transform, but her mother did not? Alex doesn't know. It's too taboo to speak of. Forced into silence, Alex nevertheless must face the consequences of this astonishing event. A mother more protective than ever, an absentee father, the upsetting instance that her aunt never existed, and watching her beloved cousin become dangerously obsessed with the forbidden. In this timely and timeless speculative novel, award-winning author Kelly Barnhill explores rage, memory, and the tyranny of forced limitations. When Women Were Dragons exposes a world that wants to keep women small, their lives, and their prospects, and examines what happens when they rise in mass and take up the space that they deserve. Boom. The hottest mess of a summary ever, ever to be read by me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alrighty, we'll kind of dive into our characters a little bit here as we kind of dive into what we liked and what we didn't like. So we so we have Alex, we have Alex Green, kind of this main protagonist, kind of the eyes of through who the, through the eyes of which the story is told. She watched her mother become very sick with cancer, come home. She didn't really know why she was why she had left for a long time and then came back. But we find out later in the novel it was cancer. And then her aunt comes, Aunt Marla, comes to take care of Alex and her mother um, and kind of help out with her father as well. And Aunt Marla is like this big, tough gal, takes up a lot of space, both like physically, emotionally. Um, She's just like a big character. And her mother kind of, once she starts to get better and better, kind of kicks Aunt Marla out and it's like, I'm fine. I can do this by myself. Aunt Marla goes and gets married to this kind of bum. And then uh, they have B and that's Alex's cousin. She's kind of this spitfire of a child. She's really just curious about everything and it's just... (laughs) has a lot of energy, just uh, a really cool character. And then um, on here, I also had Sonia. And this is the girl that Alex kind of explores feelings with um, when she was a young girl, but her father sees them kissing and immediately splits them up and says you can never see each other again. And so they don't end up seeing each other for a couple of years until they're in college. They end up going to the same college together and they reconnect then. And also, I should say, Aunt Marla is also, uh, she is part of the mass dragoning of 1955 and becomes a dragon. And so she comes back later into the novel and is a dragon and gets to, like, take care of Alex once again. That's a quick, quick, quick uh, little summary. (laughs) Right. We also have Professor Gantz, who's kind of studying uh, the Mm -hmm. dragons. And we keep getting little excerpts from his discoveries that he wrote about. So as you're kind of reading through that kind of chops up the storyline. Is there anything I missed that you think I should have touched on? Maybe perhaps librarian. I can't remember her name. Gazinska. Okay, yeah. That's probably so butchered, but you, you get it. Uh, Miss Gazinska. Yeah. Who is our librarian who kind of encourages Alex <laughs> to explore the STEM world and kind of really get into science and math and, and read books about history and really encourage her yeah. to keep learning. Even though her mother's kind of along the lines of like, you should find a husband, you should get married, you should kind of stay quiet and do your job in the house. And so it's kind of those conflicting ideals. And then once Alex's mother dies because of cancer, then Alex ends up taking in B and... After the, I should also say, after the mass dragoning, when Aunt Marla goes and becomes a dragon, they act like she has never existed and that B is Alex's sister. And so when Alex's mother dies, then Alex takes in B as kind of her own daughter and kind of her own responsibility. And their father kicks them out of the house. He gets them an apartment, which is crazy. A high schooler and her, you know, elementary school um, aged sister cousin and they end up living there alone. Their father sends a monthly allowance, but she kind of has to provide for B because his father, because her father just wanted to have a new life and didn't want to take care of his children. Right. Oh, when I read that in that book, I was absolutely furious. It made me like a little bit sick. I was really disgusted. I like audibly gasped when I read the part where he was pretty much moving them out. He brought his secretary, his pregnant secretary home and was like, New family. I was like, are you kidding me? I was really sickened by the whole thing. Made me upset. Made me upset. Yeah, I couldn't stand it. So as we dive in, um, because I'm sure I I think we chatted a little bit before this, so I know that you also enjoyed the book. But was there anything that you were reading and you were like, eh, uh, this could do without or I didn't really love that? Um, I don't think there's anything like specific. 
since I am more like used to reading really fantastical fantasies, and that's like my jam, this one was a little bit it was still an enjoyable read, of course. I enjoyed it so much, but it was less of that base for the fantasy. And it was very much, I could see that the dragoning was more or less symbolism than anything, you know, for all the struggles and the feminine rage that so many women experience today, but specifically in the 1950s and 60s was really very prevalent because women were so suppressed and oppressed back then, you know. They weren't allowed to be themselves and they weren't there's there was, there's no space really created for them except in the household. And that was just kind of for me, I was just I was like, oh, I wish it was a little bit more fantasy based. But of course, with the, the real true intention of this book was not to like be a fantasy. It was to be a work of literary fiction. Yeah, I was going to ask. So what did you see the dragon, the dragoning? What was that like a symbolism for? Because I think everyone's going to take something a little different out of that. But what did you like? What do you see it as? I really I think it's like feminine feeling. They were kind of explaining in the book. It wasn't just when women were angry. You know, it was like a point of like a lot of women being completely fed up. And they're like, I am sick of the people not creating space for me. But I also think it had to do with deep whole feeling, just something that can no longer be ignored. And that can be like love or the pursuit of intellect and and wonder. And um, I think it could also just be, I think it's just when you come into yourself and you find that there is no other option than for you to be 100% whatever it is that you want to be. And that could be like your rage, that could be like all these things. It's just that I am going to take up space now and I'm going to be 100% everything that I want to be. Just that the deep, deep emotions of that. What about you? What did you think? Yeah, I I thought of a along a similar line. I think I was trying so hard to tie it to a tangible thing. I was like, oh, is this only what happened with women who like wanted to explore their like sexual feelings with other women? I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of the main thing. But then you like keep reading and you're like, mm, that's not that's not really like the the tie-in factor. And then I think when there's that scene of you know Alex at the school dance and all the the girls are starting to drag in and starting to or just like starting to like feel that freedom I started to like kind of see it as yeah exactly that that freedom to take up space to say actually this is what I want I don't want to fit into this pretty little box that you're gonna put me in I want to discover like who I am I just want to like take up space and I want to be like 100% authentically myself whatever that looks like I'm not really going to care. But I think yeah. it was interesting that the the women like stayed as dragons. I don't know why. I just think it, it was kind of like, oh, I was expecting them to like dragon and then like come back right? <laughs> and be like this kind of transformative thing where they're able to like go back and forth between that. But I think that is such a such like a comment on like our world and how people view women who stand up for themselves and who are a little bit louder than normal. Once you do that, once you step into yourself, you are viewed differently. And it's like you can't escape that outward projection of yourself that people Mm -hmm. are seeing. Even if you are the same person 
through and through, it's like, no, I'm actually going to like take a step forward and actually show that this is exactly what I want. I'm going to tell people like that salary is too low. Here's what I want. You know, I'm going to tell people like, you know, actually that is a stupid idea. Let me tell you why. (laughs) Instead of like kind of like sitting back in the background. But once you do that, then you are looked at like, oh, wow, she's going to actually like put up a fight. Right. I think it can even be like that deep transformation like of yourself, but then you realizing that not even just necessarily like outwardly, like other people seeing you as something different. You are different. You are changed. You have seen that light within yourself and there is no going back after that, if that makes sense. You can't bottle your, yourself back up. Yeah, I think she just captured that feeling mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well. <laughs> really, really well. The whole like female experience, because e- even if it is ta- like, you know, set in 19... 19- 55 in in like the years following and the years prior it was so relatable on so many levels like i've never read a book that described the experience of being female in like a world that's not directly a story i guess of somebody that's struggling with like oppression or suppression directly it's all very kind of indirect in different ways and there are some people who you know like aunt marla who's like in this loveless marriage that she's with like a bum of a dude (laughs) and like wishes she could be with the love of her life but uh, you know couldn't because of you know societal prejudice and all that and so i lost my train of thought there but (laughs) geez today jenna miller get yourself together i know (laughs) i feel the same way But along the lines of capturing that female experience, I highlighted this when she's talking about Alex getting her first period. Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. says, we knew that each girl, no matter how many had gone before, would spend time in shock when they changed from the pain of it, from the redness and the abundance of blood, from the inexorable assault month after month, whether we wanted it or not. We knew that such shock needed care and understanding. That sentence, I was like, yes, because once you hit middle school and into high school, there was a connection that all girls had that you can't explain. And like, it was, it was a little bit to do with like your period. Cause it's like, wow, every girl's going through this. Right. It's like, this is uncharted territory for so many. And there's someone before you and someone next to you who has been in your shoes. And it's almost, I don't know if you ever like go out and even if like a random girl at a bar asks you for your ponytail holder, it's your last one. And there is Nine times out of 10, like they're still going to give it to you because they're like, listen, we've all been there. We all need a ponytail holder or like a tampon. It's just you need it. And even if it's your last one, you're like, girl, I've got you. I have you. I understand. And that's a terrible spot or situation to be in. And they're here to help. Yeah. That just line that like connects everyone in such a different way. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, do you... As I was like reading through this, I had so many questions about like why Alex's mom didn't dragon during the mass Mm -hmm. dragoning. So I was wondering if you had any theories of why she didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, I think even on her deathbed, she said, I could have. And I don't think she's necessarily saying it in regret, but like a teachable moment for her daughter in that situation, because I think she knew what was coming, like what you would see from women continuing like this wasn't something that was going to go away. And I think the mother knew that. And was she fearful? Of course. I think she was extremely fearful. Like she lived her life the way that 
she chose to live her life. And I think she had her hardships, but I think her, and this is not to say that Marla's love was any less than her mother's, but so I think Alex was an extension of her love, right? And I think she chose to be there with Alex to to shape her and to guide her through, I guess, the patriarchy of, of the time. And of course, we still have the patriarchy today, but just of that time, it's very difficult. And I think she also rationalized, I'm a mother, this is my responsibility. If I disappear, there's no way her father's going to take care of her in the way that I can, that she needs. No one's going to champion for her to continue her education. No one's going to go sit and fight for her to be able to be in these classes. I mean, we do find out that that was not true, that she had other champions in her corner that were women who had also gone through these things. But I think really it was about like, I want to be here for my daughter. I need to help her grow in this very difficult world. And even if it wasn't necessarily how Alex wanted to live her life, I think she gave her like very important tools to use throughout her life. And I mean, she even uses, puts those to use when she's taking care of Beatrice or I I mean, there's just many situations where that is. And I do think she definitely just chose not to. And I think that's even Alex went through that same thing. You know, she chose not to change. I think there were several instances where she was kind of describing how she was getting like so very angry and she could feel like phantom wings on her back and she chose not to. And I think for a long time it was out of fear. But once she let go of that fear and she even let Beatrice, she was like, please, I can't hold you back in this spot anymore. Like, if you need to transform, like, do it. But I think she could have and she chose not to because her work as a human perhaps was too important for her to change. Yeah, no, that's interesting point. I, I highlighted I highlighted a part in this book where she's talking about kind of the poem that she read to her mother on her deathbed and kind of trying to dive deeper into it. And so she uh, so Alex, you know, is talking about that. And so she said, I hope she saw it. I hope she saw me. I hoped my mother became larger than herself in death, larger than a dragon, larger than everything. I think that like speaks to what you were saying is just I think especially the women of that era of kind of the housewife era of the nuclear family, they so much almost squeeze themselves into this impossible mold that society had formed. They were like, you must do this. You must keep the house clean. You must have hot meals every meal. You have to have this. You have to do this. And so they just kind of contorted and squeezed their bodies into this impossible mold and kind of made themselves small so that they wouldn't get in the way, that they wouldn't disrupt the status quo, that they would be that happy face when the husband comes home and be like, how was your day, honey? And like, they couldn't have real feelings because real feelings were scary and they were uncharted territories and they were big and they were, they were a dragon. They were a fire breathing dragon. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to handle that. So we're just not going to acknowledge it. I think that that sentence kind of plays to the fact, like, I think her mother was one of those mothers that was like, I'm going to put my children first before everything, even like in front of my own happiness in my own freedom. This was the life that I was, you know, unfortunately born into. And this is what I was dealing with. And I think I don't want my children to have that same fight. So I'm going to fight it for them. And then hopefully they can like get out on the other side, which is so sad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and even still, like, I think motherhood was a life she chose. Whereas Aunt Marla, I don't think that was a life she ever chose. I mean, she did choose it in a way, 
because she wanted to be near her sister. But ultimately, like, I think if her sister would have continued to let her be in her life without having been married and starting that nuclear family and fitting into the mold that society wanted her to fit into, she would have never chosen to be a mother. Whereas Alex's mom actually did choose that life, wanted that life. And maybe that's where she felt most in service. And I know she was kind of overlooked for her brain, but I genuinely don't believe that it wasn't her choice in the end to say, like, I don't want to continue with this life of mathematician. She was like practically genius, you know, and like chose to say, like, I want to be a mother. I want to be in service of my husband. And I think this really kind of um, pushes that point that we fight so hard for today, which is in feminism, the idea of choice. There will be women who want to choose to be in business and be CEOs and, and never have children. Not that those two things are mutually exclusive, but there will also be women who will want to choose to be stay-at-home wives. And the whole point of feminism is that choice that you can choose and those options are freely available to you. And I think that's so important in this book is that it wasn't freely available to so many women in the 50s. And we have come a, a long way, but we're still fighting that fight. And we can see that oppression in so many different individuals in our own lives and, you know, in media and in the news. And it's kind of a reminder that we can become dragons and we can fight that fight. Yeah, I think you touched on a good point there where it, it is easy to say like, oh, you know, don't just be a stay at home mom, go chase your dreams, like, do what you want to do for yourself. But it's like that may be exactly what they want. Yeah. I think that there is almost a overcorrection nowadays where it's like now you have to be like a working mom. You have to have a baby, then be in the office two weeks later and you have to write like the same exact person, have the same amount of workload. You have to be able to handle all of it. And then like some women are like, I'm just, you know, I'm going to choose to be a stay at home mom. That's like my calling. That's what I want to do. And then people are like, well, you're lazy. Right. No, they are not. Right. They're definitely not. I mean, a baby for Pete's sake, screaming, crying, can't communicate what they want. You kind of like you're playing the guessing game. And on top of that, like you're cleaning the house, you're running errands. It's not easy task. No. And so I think that that, yeah, is a special point. And then I think Kelly kind of touched on it, too, with. You know, every every woman who did Dragon, especially like Aunt Marla's story is very interesting because she loved her daughter so much and just wanted to like get back to her daughter. Right. And struggled to at the beginning because Alex didn't want her to come near B because she's like, I don't want B to get any ideas that she can become that because I don't want her to leave me. And it was that idea of if you once you Dragon, you are leaving someone. Right. Yeah. Once you stand up for yourself, you are leaving your old life behind and you're leaving your people behind. Once you open up about how you're feeling and who you are and your true self, people are going to leave. People are just going to be like, nope, I don't want anything to do with you. Because that's, I think, that deep rooted fear. I know for someone like me, who is a very much a bottler, <laughs> bottle mm -hmm. things very tightly. And once they all come flowing out, because they will eventually all come flowing out. <laughs> It's inevitable and you're kind of just da -da 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 word vomiting over how you're feeling. And then afterward, you're like, oh, my God, they must hate me. <laughs> you're like, I sound so needy and so unbelievably ungrateful for the life that I have. But afterward, everyone's like, you were you have that space like you are right to feel the way that you feel. And yeah. 
no problem is like bigger than another and no life is more important than another. It is that fascinating idea of like Marla trying to come back to her daughter, but also Alex who had a mother who stayed and values that motherly relationship, but combating that feeling with the fact that, well, Marla might take B away from me now. It was yeah. just like a, that tension was always like, was pulling me in that whole story. Right. And I think a lot of that comes down to, I don't think Aunt Marla was ready to lose her identity to be a mother. And I mean, like, that's the truth for so many women still today. Like you almost lose your sense of identity sometimes. And it's not necessarily like purposeful, but now you are wife or you are mom and you are not yourself and you will never be yourself alone again. And it might have felt like a very selfish decision to Alex and and perhaps it was, but as individuals, as people, it's an important fact to drive home that you do have that choice. And that is kind of the whole point of it. And I really do think that Marla knew that Alex's mother would take in Beatrice and care for her as if she were her own, because Alex's mother did not want anything but to be a mother. And even though she had that option, she really, she wanted, and her choice was to be a mother. And that includes being a mother for Beatrice as well as for Alex. And it seemed to me, she did not have any qualms about it. And, but you could tell that she was obviously hurt by Marla's decision to, to do that, to leave her behind, to leave Beatrice behind, because in a lot of ways, after Marla had left, she was dead to the family. And I, I'm sure not very much discussed in not very much but it was still discussed that like that was a very hard decision for Marla but she had to be herself she had to follow her dreams and I think had she stayed she would have been more miserable and more inclined to not be a good kind compassionate mother herself I think that would have killed her and possibly done like irreparable damage to Beatrice yeah it's so true I feel like we could end there. I mean, there's so much more to dig into, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, we could go on for hours. Yeah, I was going to say, if we keep going, we'll be here till uh, midnight. But we'll kind of dive into our uh, final ratings and then go from there. But for me, this book, I was telling Sierra at the beginning, I, I, I will give it a 5 out of 5 because this is honestly probably the, in the top 10, in the top 5 books I've read in my lifetime. Just because yeah. of the way that it was able to capture the female experience and capture yeah. that female rage in a way that wasn't overly, I want to say, I don't, it wasn't, it wasn't like overly feminist. I don't know if that is, mm. that makes sense, but it wasn't like men are, you know, the worst. They, most of the men right. characters in here were not great, but it was more of that like female empowerment of lifting each other up and making sure that everyone is everyone is telling everyone that it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to be this way. It's okay to kind of let yourself fall into those feelings. And she wrote it in such a beautiful and interesting way in a different take. Who like comes up with this idea of what, right. if, what if women just like turn into dragons if they, once they like felt extreme rage or extreme joy, what would happen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like exploring that. And even, even just the one step further of exploring that in the nuclear family era in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was fascinating. And I think 
you know, just the character development of everyone. And it wasn't, it wasn't super plot driven. Like you were saying, it's not, it's not super fantastical. It's not super like intense and action packed, but I think, and I was worried about that, but I think it was so beautifully written and Mm -hmm. there was enough of that. Oh God, like, are are they going to be okay? Is Alex going to be okay? Is B going to be okay? That it keeps you invested. But I just think it was one of the most, I think, beautifully, I just keep saying it, beautifully written novel and just an interesting story. And it was just something I, something unlike I've ever read before. And so I think that's why it gets up there. I would um, give it a, yeah, I'd give it like a 4.5 for me. Again, like I was expecting a bit more fantastical elements. I'm obviously pleasantly surprised that it wasn't what I thought it was. So very thought provoking. And I mean, a great way to entice others to think about the female experience, even if you are not currently experiencing that yourself, you know, and again, yeah, like you said, like exploring that with the nuclear family is a very interesting aspect as well. Growing up in a time where even more so women did not have a place carved out for them in society other than being at home and were expected to put their lives on the back burner to make men comfortable. So yeah, I really enjoyed it and was very pleasantly surprised because I thought it was going to be just like a fun story about dragons. And I'm like, but I'm so very excited that I can add this to a list of really thought-provoking feminist literature. And um, I definitely think this will go down as a classic piece of writing that will probably be talked about for generations to come. I really do. Oh, I think it should be taught in like any feminist literature course. Yeah, I agree. Because it's it's so intense. Yeah. And when I finished it, I was like, I'm recommending this to everyone I know. (laughs) Also, the amount of times tears were welling up in my eyes because I was just, it's so deeply moving because you as a woman like have experienced in some way some of those things, but then you also are putting yourself into these characters' shoes and and really thinking about how far we've come, but also how far we have to go and just the female experience in general and of how many different female experiences there are. And I think that goes, they even like didn't stop at just female born in female bodies that went even further than that. And I really loved that they added that as well. They were encompassing like all different types of folks. It was beautiful. Yeah, I was just like flipping through to see if I missed any quotes that I wanted to share. And I found one that was, what's his face? Oh, Dr. Gantz. But talking about how you were talking about that choice. And so he's talking with her about all of his research and, and you know, about his, about her Aunt Marla and how he knew her and how he connected with her. And and they're just talking about, you know, why why would she drag in? Why, why did she leave us? Why did she leave Beatrice? And so he's talking with her and he says, even imperfect things can be precious after all. The choice itself is precious. The, small, the smallness and largeness of an individual life does not change the fundamental honor and value of every manifestation of our personhood. I think it does no good to wonder if your mother chose rightly or wrongly. There's no such thing, you see. The only thing that is relevant is the fact that she was. She lived. Who doesn't, who doesn't struggle with that? Who doesn't struggle with that idea of, is my life even valuable? If I'm not doing something huge, if I'm not making these huge bounds, if I'm not turning into a freaking dragon, what does my life look like? That's the human experience. Is my being here worthy of anything? 
am I doing anything worthwhile? And, and I think it's that idea that you being alive, you being you is worthy, is a worthy experience, like is contributing to society is just being you is enough on this earth. And, and you never realize how many people you impact in your life. Every small character in this did a really great job of expressing how even like such a small character can influence and and be a part of someone's life in their journey. And I think that's really important and was driven home in this book. 100%. Alrighty, let's get into our pairings. And I'm going to be 100% transparent here. I did not come up with any pairings or prep anyone, I should say prep any. Okay. So this is going to be totally off the cuff. <laughs> but do you want to go first? Or I can also just wing it. I can go first. So for TV shows, I have two. I have The Good Girls Revolt, which is on Amazon. And I have House of Dragon. And not for the same fantastical elements, but because in this new season, you do see a lot of those patriarchal rules. And you have our main character, Rhaenyra, who is very good at spending, breaking, creating new rules. And I really enjoyed that about it. Uh, Good Girls Revolt, it takes place in, I believe, around the 1960s, 1970s. And it is pretty much about like a magazine, I believe, or a news, a news journalist deal. And it's pretty much all these women are just chalked up to only be allowed to really be secretaries not allowed to be journalists themselves, but they are doing almost all of the work and they get no credit for it. And it's a, I wanted it to keep going for two seasons. It's only one season long, um, but it is really, to me, it was one of the most enjoyable TV shows and it has stayed with me for such a long time. For movies, I actually have three. So get ready, everyone. I have Don't Worry Darling, which I had the great pleasure of seeing on Thursday. Um, I have Stepford Wives, which is another really great one. And it's a very interesting idea of, well, if you've seen it, you've seen it, you know. And then I also have The Invitation, which is also another newer one, a little bit of a gothic romance, but also uh, kind of has that camaraderie of the female experience and um, that female rage kind of deal. Really loved it. And then for books, I have Where the Crawdads Sing and uh, Women Who Run With Wolves. Then for my drink, I'm going to say drink because I don't know of any really wines that I would pair with this. I mean, you could, I'm sure, pair any red wine, but um, I would go with like a jalapeno margarita. Spicy always reminds me of dragons and, you know, green. Yeah, that's actually uh, perfect. I don't think you could have done any better <laughs> than that. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, you really give me a run for my money. Okay. <laughs> Again, totally off the cuff, so hang in there with me. For TV show, I immediately thought of Umbrella Academy, um, especially Vanya's story. Yeah. Because okay. she was taught her entire life she has zero powers, ends up she is the most powerful one of the group, and the way she discovers it is complete in utter rage. <laughs> right, yeah. And so, um, and that, I guess, is through the first and second season. And then once uh, once he transitions, then it's kind of a similar, you know, storyline of, it's just, yeah, it's just like coming into yourself and being this powerful being. And then how do you, and are you like nervous that your family is going to completely turn you away and ends yeah. up being like, nope, 
you're all just gonna be battling evil together. <laughs> and then my book is actually a nonfiction book. So whoa, taking a totally different turn here. But I immediately <laughs> thought of Untamed by Glennon Doyle, just because it's her story of coming into her true self and learning that life isn't perfect and it's not pretty and it's not and it's messy and it's that book is so good so highly recommend and kind of that similar feeling of trying to fit that stereotype of the perfect wife and the perfect mother and realizing there is no perfect anything and that however however you choose to do it is the right way and so i think that that also is a very similar storyline and then kind of going along your lines with the movies of the invitation mm -hmm. is uh fresh with yeah. uh sebastian stan yeah love <laughs> i love that movie that yeah. is like top that is on my top list of like midsummer which also would be really good in this one um yeah uh, oh. and fresh are like top tier movies for me yeah, Fresh, again, is like the camaraderie of the females that are absolutely getting yeah. destroyed by the male. I love it. Yeah. So I, I won't say anything about it because the whole point is to just watch it and let your jaw hit the floor 10 minutes in. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and I guess going along those lines, too, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, Suspiria is also kind of fitting in there. You do have a cult of witches that mm -hmm. these gals have to have to fight off. But in that same vein, <laughs> you still have to kind of stand up to the power, come into your own power. And that's how you defeat these evil dudes. And you can't just be a pretty ballerina, but you actually have to, you know, fight evil. Uh, that movie oh. just freaks me out. If you like, don't worry, darling, if you like Midsummer, you'll love it. Like it's along the, and okay. fresh. It, it's all along the yeah. same. Okay. I'll have to watch it. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, that's it. Um, I'm kind of sad that this one is over because I do love this book. Well, Sierra, thank you so much. As always, this is always a freaking blast. Alrighty. Everyone take care. Uh, let us know what you thought of the book by hopping onto our Instagram and TikTok. It should be fun. Bye. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. Again, that's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all. 